Hey, good morning, Catalyst. How are you today? Let me just echo what Nate was talking about. Uh, I, I really want to encourage all of us uh, during, the, during the month of February, let's, let's make every effort to be here. And I want to tell you why. If you're new to this place, this month is going to be a great time of really learning more about Catalyst and who we are and what we feel like God is calling us to be. We'll go over our footprints. We'll be sharing some of those uh, with each teaching. And it's just important for us to be here because here, here's the deal. If this is our church, this is our story, right? And we need to know our story. We need to know how God has worked in this place. And I promise you, we, we sit in this place this morning only by a miracle of the Lord. And we'll be sharing some of that as we go along. But I, I really want to encourage everyone to make every effort to be here because it's important that this is about we and us and that we are, are committing ourselves to understand this and just to be a part of that. So just so excited, so excited for this month, but also want to encourage all of us to be here in that way. You know, um, the night before Ellen and I were to be married, here before I fall off this place, the night before Ellen and I were to, to be married, we had the wedding rehearsal. Now, the only problem was my family from Mississippi, and it, it Honestly, it was a bunch of rednecks that came up. I mean, you know, we were all, we were all there and we made our way up to uh, Indianapolis. That's where Ellen was uh, born and raised. And we all show up except for my whole family. And they're one hour late. Can you guess why? They forgot about the time change from Mississippi. So they finally stroll in and we finally get started. We go through the rehearsal. We're headed to the rehearsal supper. And as was the case so many times in my life, my dad just kind of picked a moment to speak wisdom into me. And on this time, he just put his arm around me. He said, Roland, I want you to know, most people say that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. That if you'll give half and she'll give half, that it will turn into a really, really good marriage. But he said, I want to tell you something. That is not how you have a great marriage. He said, a great marriage is built on the foundation that each party is willing to give 100%. And if you will sacrifice like that, he said, if you will give of yourself like that to Ellen, you will have a great marriage. You know what? Sometimes loving another person, sometimes caring for another person calls for you and me to go above the norm, does it not? It calls for you and me to be willing to give of ourselves to make a difference. And there is something that we understand about this in 1 Thessalonians. Because Paul speaks to the church. And Paul is wanting to share with them, I want you to know it's going to be this kind of love that will separate you and your faith from those around you. We're going to talk about verses 6-9 through nine today. And Paul talks to you and me about how you and I learn to invest ourselves in another person in a way that will impact their lives for the good of the kingdom. We begin with verse 6. Paul tells us that at some point, you and I have to grow to maturity enough that we begin to look beyond our own needs. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. Now notice what he says, because Paul refers to himself in a place of standing. He is an apostle. But Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand something. He's not the norm. Paul insinuates a couple of things as he talks about being an apostle. Paul wants them to know that him coming to be an apostle superseded, if you will, anything ordinary. Look at Acts the ninth chapter. We learn that Jesus himself 
encounters and engages Paul. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, notice this, suddenly a light from heaven (laughs) flashed around him. This is how personal this is. God places the spotlight of heaven on Saul of Tarsus. And it says, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now notice how personal this phrase is. Why are you, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And this is Paul's response. Who are you? Who are you? And he says this, Lord. Because you see, Paul had an understanding even in the beginning of this moment that someone more powerful than he could imagine was speaking to him directly. And Jesus answered, listen to this, I am Jesus. Now get up and go into the city and notice what he says, and you will be told what you must do. It was, not only imper- it was not only personal, it was not only powerful, but please hear me, it was even complete with a directional kit. I will share with you what you must do. I want to take just a moment, I'm going to digress from the teaching, because I really believe that Jace spoke to something this morning that the Lord had really tendered my heart towards. I really believe that there are people in this place today who need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. In fact, I had a a, a sense that sometimes we play hide-and-seek with God. We're in, we're out, we're in, we're out, we're into the shadows, we're out of the shadows. But I want to share something with you this morning. Please hear me this. Please hear me say this. You and I, to come to a right standing with God, at some point, have to have a personal encounter with Jesus. It is a moment where we engage Him. It is a moment where we ask of Him to forgive us and redeem us. It is a moment when we accept Him into our lives as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And I promise you, you can't do this riding on somebody else's coattails. I don't care how many believers you hang around until you make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. That's when you become a believer yourself. And so I want to share that today because I think even at this moment, even at this moment, I believe the Lord is knocking on the door of hearts today. Paul wants them to know that his commissioning, his commissioning as an apostle was not normal. And honestly, Paul recognized that given the normal circumstance and situations, Paul recognized that he had some, if you will, some rights associated with being an apostle. He says, we could have been a burden to you. Do you know what that phrase literally translates? We could have claimed a place of weight among you. Paul says, we could have elevated ourselves. We could have made some requests based on our position, our authority as apostles. We could have even been a burden to you. And in some situations and circumstances, perhaps that was the case in the early church. But not for Paul. You see, for Paul, his need, his position, his authority were never the most important things. The most important thing for Paul was the opportunity that this presented him. 
It was the opportunity that this presented him to share the love of Christ with the Thessalonians. Listen to what he says. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone. And notice why he says, while we preached the gospel of God to you. For Paul, for Paul, there was absolutely nothing that should get in the way of that opportunity to share that message, to share that story with folks who had never heard it nor understood it before. He avoided any questionable behavior that might lead anyone to question his motives. It takes us back to last week when we talked about that the integrity and the character and the authenticity, if you will, of the messenger always determines the ultimate impact, what? Of the message. Paul says, listen, this is what matters in this moment, in this situation. We could have deserved certain blessings and benefits. But what is most important to me, to Paul, was that the love of Christ be shared. Not that his personal desires or even his personal needs would be met. Now let me say that again. The most important thing to Paul was, not that the, was that the love of Jesus be shared, not that his personal desires or even his personal needs be met. And notice how Paul instructs us to love like that. He said, we care gently and genuinely for you. Verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. You know, that word gentle among you is literally a phrase that means we're tender in the way we care. Paul, Paul honestly is using a phrase that gives the connotation of a nurse who gives loving care to another. And Paul likens this. He gives us literally a visible picture. He says this is like a mother caring for her children. And he speaks so vividly, if you will, of that kind of compassionate, tender care that a mom can give. You know what I read about a study this week? And it was a study done of 1,100 patients who were comatose. And did you know the chances of someone surviving that physical state for more than 15 years, the, the literally the percentage of someone surviving that, are less than 1 in 15,000. And yet for those few, as they went through the study, for those few, for those few who lived beyond the 15th year, this is what they said. Almost every one of them, almost every one of them, and notice the words that they used. Almost all of them received extraordinary, phenomenal care and almost always from the person's mother. Friends, I want to tell you something. There is something powerful and something profound about how you and I love and care for others. In fact, this is the truth. How you and I love, or how we sometimes choose not to love, determines some days, some ways, 
the capacity to give life to another. Let me give you an instance. How many of you have gone through days when they were tough days and you didn't receive much love as you found out more about brokenness and you witnessed brokenness and you saw brokenness? How many of you had as much energy that night as on the other days when you have been loved thoroughly by someone else? You know what? This week I heard, I heard a story about one of our families who had recently lost a loved one. And hospice was called in during the last days. And the hospice care worker was only obliged to really be present a, a few days a week. But after seeing the situation, she turned to the family and said, I want you to know I will come every day and check on them. You see, she was willing to go that extra mile. Her care, her compassion was not limited to a contract. Now in the midst of that, there was also a gentleman who came with hospice a day later to set up the equipment necessary for the hospice worker to do her work. And as he was going through setting this up, he began to have just a casual, gentle conversation with the patient. And finally, he just simply asked the person, he said, do you mind if I ask what your situation is? And the man said, no, not at all. And he shared with him his condition and how imminent the passing of this life was. And then the man paused and he said, well, would you mind if I prayed with you? And then he offered this wonderful, heartfelt prayer. And he liked the hospice worker. He wasn't there just to do his job. <laughs> he was there to represent Jesus and his faith. Then as poor timing would have it, guess what happened? The furnace went out in the home. I thought that only happened to you and me, babe. And when the technician was called to work on it, <laughs> after the work had been done and the person had left, one of the siblings joked, and she said, well, did the furnace guy pray with you too? And he simply responded, as a matter of fact, he did. You want to know something? The exceptional care and the exceptional efforts of this worker and these technicians touched this family deeply. Church, please hear me say something. How you and I will love and how we will care for people will influence greatly how they hear, how they interpret, and how they respond to the love of Christ. Can I say it again? How you and I love and care for people will ultimately influence greatly how pe another person will hear, how they will interpret, and how they will respond to the love of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't write this concept, even though he lived it. And that concept is this. People really don't care how much you and I know until they know how much we care. Paul wants the Thessalonians to know I loved you this much because Christ has loved me this much. Second, 
Paul was willing in loving them. Paul was willing to give a part of himself. Notice what verse 8 says. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Notice that phrase. We loved you so much. This is, this is a rare phrase in the original. And it, it literally means that you and I will affectionately love someone so deeply we love them to the point that it makes us ache. Oh my goodness, I used to just ache for Ellen. I couldn't wait till the day would be over and I could go see her at night. I would ache all day long. I still ache for her. I'm still moon-eyed about her. You see, for Paul, this isn't a negative ache. This isn't an ache that he's not willing to endure. This is an ache that he welcomes. And you know why? Because it compelled him to go past the status quo. It compelled him to not just get by. It compelled him not to simply go through the motions. For Paul, it was like for the hospice worker and the technicians. It moved them above and beyond the norm. Paul says, you want to know something? It'll cost you something to love like this. In fact, he says, and we were delighted to love. That word literally means that delighted means that you and I, we don't love somebody. We don't care for somebody. That is our obligation, our duty. You ever, you ever been there? Oh, gosh, I've got to go do this. I know it's Saturday. I wish I didn't have to. It's, I've worked all night. I don't want, I don't want to do this. No, listen, this, this word literally means that they would share this message because it brought them joy and thankfulness. It made them realize in the midst how blessed they were to be where they were, to know who they knew in Jesus, and to be able to live out His love. They, they were catalysts. They were delighted. They gave of themselves. Notice what he says. Their affections were so deep. They loved him in such a deep way. Notice what he says. We not only told you about the gospel. We shared our lives as well. Those words literally mean to give one's innermost self. It means to be real and genuine. It means to not pretend or have pretense. It means to be genuine. It means to hold nothing back in loving another person. You know what I've come to understand for Paul? I mean, that literally meant, he said, you had become so dear to us. And what it means is his time had gone on, so had their affection grown. And I want to tell you, there's something, there's something important about time. Is there not building a relationship? I mean, how many of you love your spouse more today than you loved them the day you married them? Men, that was a setup. You better raise your hand in a hurry. <laughs> You're going to get the elbow of your life. Because time, time has given you more reasons to love. That's what we hope and pray happens in our small groups. I promise you, if you go to a small group one time and you make your judgment, I promise you it's not them, it's you. 
It's about spending some time with people so that you grow to love them. You know, uh, we just started a new small group uh, last fall, and we have uh, the young couples and some of the young, young adults. And I'm going to tell you what, you talk about growing to love these people. Man, we love them and we cherish them. We're delighted. We're delighted to get to meet with them. You know, I received a wonderful, wonderful email this week. And it was from one of our small group leaders. And they were informing me that somebody in their small group was having surgery. And they just wanted me to be aware. And I love this. They informed me what was going on. And they also informed me that they would be going to the hospital that morning to pray for them. And I said, listen, if you give me their number, I'll call them just to check in with them, tell them we're thinking of them. And I said, also, if you need me at some point to come down to the hospital, just let me know. And they responded really quickly and they said, no, that won't be necessary. We've got it covered. And my heart leaps. It leaps. Because my friends, it leaped because... The norm at Catalyst is becoming that our small groups are becoming those hubs of caring for each other. And over for the next few weeks, we're going to hear more and more about Catalyst Footprints. But I want to tell you something. This one is directly related to our first footprint. And this is what it says. One of our goals is that we become a small group-centered and not a pastor-centered church. Our dream is that Catalyst would not allow itself to be typical I don't mean that arrogantly. I don't mean it in any demeaning way. Our hope and dream is that our small groups, they will become the centers of influential relationships. Please hear me. That will reach others, constantly reaching others for Christ. Promise, please hear me, small groups. You are not there just for you. You're not a holy huddle. You're a huddle that has a goal. That believes we are called to touch other people's lives for the love of Christ. And one of the main things that we hope will happen and we pray will happen is that as we begin to enter into these small groups, we begin also to pray, God, who else needs to be in this group? Who else needs to have this kind of love? And that we will reach out to them. And that we will do everything in our power to build those relationships. But also that we will multiply disciples there. That we will be involved in missional aspects in our community. That we will be outside these walls as small groups doing works of service that are going to impact our community for the good of Jesus. And that these groups would be a place where care, where compassion, and where encouragement is found by every member of that group. And Catalyst, I want you to hear me say something. The only way that will ever happen is if you and I are willing to give up ourselves to love like that. You know what? I, I shared a story probably a year or two ago, and I think it bears telling again. I was teaching on these footprints. I, we did a whole series. If you, if you were here, we did a whole series in the fall talking about what these footprints mean and how they lead us and guide us. And please hear me. These footprints, these footprints are the things that guide our ministry here. And if they don't, if they don't lean into our footprints, we don't do them. There's some very specific things that we want to be a part of. But we were sharing on the footprints, and I had just shared on this one. And there was a, a, a woman who visited our church for the first time that morning, and she walked outside, and she took my hand. And this is what she said. She looked at me, and she said, I want you to know all that's well and good, but what I want to know is, what are you going to do for me? I choked a little, 
And then I looked at her and I hope with compassion. I said, I want you to know that is never a question we ever ask at Catalyst. It's never about me. It's always about we and us. It is always about what is best for the whole. And it is always about what we and us can do for the kingdom of Jesus. You see, the truth is, if you and I invest in people for the sake of Christ, it will ultimately cause us to move past ourselves. And it will ultimately cause us to give something And it will ultimately be a part of us that needs to be given. Because I'm going to tell you, there's a cost attached to this kind of love. I I make no bones. Surely, listen to what Paul writes in verse 9. He says, surely you remember our toil and our hardship. That word toil and hardship, did you know it means literally the physical and emotional toll that ministry takes? It is literally an example of a ship battling a storm, trying to make it just to harbor to harbor. Paul is talking about, I want you to know, this this ministry has some kind of physical and emotional toll. That was never more true to me than this weekend. Ellen and I were a part of a a retreat. And it was a retreat uh, directed by Carl Addison. Many of you, if not most of you, know Carl. He was once uh, our executive pastor They received this huge grant. He leads this for Indiana State Ministries, and this was the first one of it. It's called Thrive. And literally have created a program to help pastors thrive in ministry. And they do it by linking people together so they're not alone. But man, he gave the results of a study done in 2017. And listen listen to this. Did you know that 50%, 50% of all people who enter ministry drop out after five years? 70% say they have lower self-esteem than when they entered it. (laughs) 80% feel ministry has negatively impacted their family. 58% feel fulfilled, but they still feel discouraged and stressed and fatigued. 70% say they do not have one close friend. And only one out of ten, only one out of ten who started in ministry at a young age ever retire from ministry. I told Ellen, we're weird. I mean, we're, you know, it's our 38th year. Carl already did something else right after he gave this, because this is kind of a downer. He said, I want to leave you with a downer. He said, I want to tell you four. He said, I want to tell you four aspects of a person's life. If they're thriving in ministry, these four areas are being fulfilled. And he went through them and, you know what, I looked over at Ellen. And I said, sweetie, do you know? For the first time in my 38 years of ministry, all four of these are fulfilled in my life. And I want to thank you, Catalyst. I want to thank you. For allowing Ellen and me to thrive here with you. To be a part of something that's just bigger than us. There's not a week that goes by that we don't stop and kind of pinch ourselves and say, you want to know something? This is awesome. 
We are excited. We find great joy. We find great energy from you. And we're grateful. You want to know something? That's why we believe that service is a way of life at Catalyst. I mean, if you don't think ministry costs you something, ask the, ask the, the women and men who work in our student ministries and children's ministries every Sunday. I'll never forget, Ellen talked me into working with eight-year-olds. I went five weeks and I told her, sweetie, if I have to do it again, give me a bullet. I, I can't. I love kids. I just can't teach them. And, and listen, I, I, I know what some people say. I come to church to get away. Friends, I want you to know that may be true everywhere else, but it's not true at Catalyst. We believe everyone who attends this church should be serving in some capacity. And please hear me say this with all the love in the world. We make no bones about it. This is our church. We're responsible to help cover ministries in this church. I mean, you ever watch the guys in our hospitality be in the parking lot on Sunday morning? I'm going to tell you, they were so powerful last week because it was cold, it was slick. And we had people coming in to walk out in the parking lots. Coming in, they, they weren't even on the list. They came in to walk in the parking lot to help people inside the door. We were so moved by it. And now Kerry Brown is going to help take over that aspect. But we were so moved. We called Lisa and said, hey, we just want you to know, we watched today. We saw the impact of these guys loving people out in the parking lot. I mean, honest to goodness, you ever been greeted by Shad and Lori Grail at the front door? My goodness, it's just hard to be humdrum after they shake your hand and smile at you. All of us, all of us, all of us are called to serve. And sometimes the cost of loving people is small, sometimes it's great. But, but here's, why, here's why we have to understand the importance of this. Because every time you and I invest in another person's life for the good of Jesus, I promise you, every time you do that, you and I are giving God a chance to act in that person's life. Because we are making the kingdom real. We're bringing reality to the love of Christ to a person who may not know it. And I promise you, in the brokenness, in the turmoil of this world, in the midst of all the angst and all the hurt that you and I rub up against, and who of us doesn't? <laughs> when we love people, when we love people like that and give of ourselves like that, you and I have the opportunity to create pockets of kindness and pockets of good and pockets of light that permeate that darkness. And then there's a collective whole when that's done. And with every one of them, that light and that joy and that kindness and that goodness grows. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? God, may your kingdom come. He's talking about right now. And may your will be done. That's you and me loving like Christ on earth as it is in heaven.
my friends, we can have an unbelievable impact for the good of Jesus. Let me make this clear and let's close. You ready? If you believe, hang with me now, if you believe this week, God might give you, just might give you, He might open the opportunity for you to share His goodness and His love and His kindness to somebody. I want you to do me a favor. If you, if you believe you just might have that opportunity, I want to start over here. I want you to simply stand. And then I want us to make our way across every section. And let's just see how many of us believe that God just might give us an opportunity, just might give us an opportunity to act on His behalf this week. How about if we start over here? Just move across. Catalyst. Look at the opportunity we have. Paul says, for once we were filled with darkness. But now you and I have been given the light of the Lord. So let us live as people of the light. For this light, I love this. For this light, this light produces what is good. And what is right. And what is true. That's what can happen, Catalyst, when we love others like Jesus. That's what can happen when we give of ourselves so that another can have. Amen and amen. Let's sing and worship.